after the victories of our faith, right, when we see these promises unfold, when we see them coming into fruition, we must never forget that the enemy is at bay. And this is why Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, be alert, be watchful, right? Because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I want you to understand this, is that we cannot let our guard down. Understand that, that the enemy is, is at hand. And, and I want you to know that even though in the victories, even though in the fulfillment of promises, this is a time when he sees that you are least expecting his attacks. And so I share these things not to ignite any fear in you, but all I want you to know is really what to expect, right? The enemy, I mean, the Lord wants us to know how the enemy works and he wants us to realize what we are to expect. But in the end, understand this, no matter what tactics, no matter what attacks, you and I will experience victory in God. And we will see that today. But understanding this helps us and prepares us for the battles that are ahead of us. And so with that, let's go ahead and read the, uh, the uh, second Samuel beginning here in verse, in verse 12. We're going to begin in verse 12 and, and conclude this chapter. So it says this, now Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon and Joab the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over by number twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet a foot as a wild gazelle. So Asahel pursued Abner, and in going he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and lay hold on one of the young men, and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn to the aside, and therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear. 
so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amal, which is before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be better in the latter end? How will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing the brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing the brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mehenaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, nineteen men and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, three hundred and sixty men who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. You know, as we stop here, you know, as I mentioned to you, we're talking about here an enemy, and, and an enemy that seeks to, to destroy David, to destroy Judah, to, to bring them into the fold, because we have, at the very moment, a divided kingdom. You actually have here, you have Judah that is under the reign of David. And then you have Israel, the remaining 11 tribes that are under the reign of Ishbosheth. And so you have here just some, you know, you have here just this, this civil war that is now going on between this nation of Israel. And so with that, let's go ahead and read it. And we're going to talk about four points. Or four tactics of the enemy. And so let's read verse 1 and 2. And, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at the points that the Lord gives us. It says here in verse 12, I should say. Beginning in 12 and... We're going to read 12 and 13. It says here, Now Abner the son of Ner, and the sons of Ishbosheth the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon, and Joab the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pole of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pole and the other on the other side of the pole. Let's stop here. You know, as we read these two verses, I want to just give you some background information. You know, we have these men that are mentioned here. You have Abner, right? Abner was, again, the commander of Saul's army. And as a commander of Saul's army, he knew that King Saul 
was killed. He was killed in a battle with the Philistines. And so Abner wanted to remain as commander. Actually, Abner wanted to become the actual power of Israel. He wanted to be the the commander of all of Israel. And so you have here a man that is just power hungry. Okay? And basically what Abner does is he rebels against the chosen of God. You know what he says? You know what? All of Israel is not going to serve David, but all of Israel will serve Ishbosheth, which was the son of King Saul, the only remaining son of King Saul, because the others had actually gone to the battlefield with their dad, and they were all killed. But Ishbosheth stood behind. And so, Abner, in desiring to remain as commander and really to run all of Israel, he, he puts up a puppet king. And that's what he does. He puts up Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth, I want you to know this Ishbosheth was extremely weak. He was a fearful man, but he was the one that Israel would accept as king, right? Because he is the son of King Saul. I really want you to get a sense of the heart of Abner. See, this guy was extremely power hungry. His desire was to maintain and increase his position in the kingdom. He, as I mentioned, he wanted to be the man in charge. He wanted to be the man that was ruling Israel, though he didn't have the, the actual crown, but he would be the power behind the crown. He would be the one that is calling the shots. And I want you to know as we look at this man, this man that is power hungry, how many of you in business or in the ministry have met other men or women that are power hungry? I know I have. I have met many of these people, especially being in the business, but also serving in the ministry. Both inside and outside of the ministry, you see that there are power hungry people. You know, they're fighting their way to the top. Using other people to help them reach the top. And you know what's sad about all of this is that you would never expect this in the ministry, but it actually also happens in the ministry. You know, we expect it from the world, right? We expect it in the business, but you also see this in the ministry. And I'm going to give you some thoughts to ponder, some thoughts to meditate on. You know, when you look at the behavior of these power-hungry people, is that they are constantly trying to get to the top. And how do they do this? They befriend those of power, and then they end up competing with those of power. They are constantly name-dropping and speaking about all of their accomplishments. Right? And eventually, they begin to compete with their peers. They have a selfish ambition. And I want you to know that the selfish ambition is, is clearly seen. It's evident as time goes on. You begin to see that the only people that they're loyal to is to themselves. And they always begin to exaggerate their value. They exaggerate their value in both business as well as the ministry. How important they are to the ministry. How they have actually done so many things to allow the ministry or the business to succeed. 
I want you to understand that it's both the same because the heart is the same. The difference between the ministry and the business, though, the business world, is the fact that in the ministry they hide behind the gospel, right? They use the Christianese to, to sort of get off their tr- so that we don't see their, their, their hearts, you know, to get us off course. You know, when this ministry began, I want you to know that, that throughout this ministry, not throughout, but early on in this ministry, we had people that came into the ministry seeking position. You know, there would be friend, those of power, of leadership, okay? And, and then they would compete with those in leadership. But eventually their tactics are revealed. And their plans never prevail, but, but you see it, right? We see it time and time again. This is something that, that I've had to learn, right? Because early on in ministry, you wouldn't expect this. And, and yet, as, as it happens over and over, you begin to sense it, you begin to smell it. But I want you to know what happens along the way, whether it's a ministry or whether it's in business, is that a lot of people get hurt along the way. This is so evident. There are so many people that get hurt along the way. And with Abner, as we read, there's people that get hurt, there's people that die along the way as he attempts to rise to the top, as he attempts to be commander over all of Israel. And you want to see how weak Ishbosheth is, and how powerful Abner is. We're going to cover this next week, or if we get to it next week, but I'm going to give it to you from 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. In speaking of Ishbosheth, it says this He, Ishbosheth, could not answer another word because he feared Abner. Ishbosheth feared Abner. Abner was a commander, and Abner was in charge. Even though Ishbosheth was a king by name, still the one that was the power behind the kingdom there was Abner. And Abner and Ishbosheth was only a puppet. But I want you to know this is that as we return to these first two verses of verse 12 and 13, Abner thought to himself that he could defeat David. He thought, you know what, I'm going to defeat David, right? That's why he, he, he instigated and he called out Judah to battle. Understand that they just didn't happen to get by this pool. It wasn't like they were swimming in a pool, right? Because it, it appears that one's on one side and the other's on the other and they're having a good time together and all of a sudden they get into a fight so they begin to argue one another. That's not what happens here. You have a battle that has been called out by Abner. This battle has been called out by Abner to defeat Joab, who was a commander of the army of David. He wanted to conquer Judah and he wanted to unite all of Israel under his control. This pool of Gibeon, I want you to know this, it's, it's not a swimming pool as I mentioned. This is a reservoir of water. This is where, where they would get their drinking water from. And as he calls them out, the armies go there to meet for battle. And as I mentioned, Abner's intent was to defeat David and to conquer Judah, and to unite the kingdom under His power. When we look at what James talks about, James talks about these type of people. He mentions them and he talks and he refers to them as self-seeking. And we must always remember that, that these people that are wanting to get to the top or 
are power hungry or are desiring to have control. These are self-seeking people. And look at what James says about this. In James chapter 3, verse 16, he says there, where, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Every evil thing is there. Guess where this comes from? This comes from the enemy. This doesn't come from the Lord. To be self-seeking, to want to have power, to want to be you know, above others, right? When the Lord hasn't even called you to do that, this is a self-seeking heart. And for us as Christians, we've got to examine our hearts you know, when it comes to the ministry, right now that we've been reborn, now that we've been given a new birth in the Lord, by His Spirit, are we still self-seeking? Have we brought the world into Christianity? You know what? Is the flesh not crucified? You know what? Aren't we born again? Aren't we new creations? Aren't we new men? Haven't we been given a new heart? But yet, sometimes this part of us still exists and the Lord is working that out of us. You know, whenever you realize that you have selfish motives or you're trying to make a name for yourselves or competing with peers for position, understand this is self-seeking. And this is what the Lord doesn't want from us. It's the Lord that raises people up. You can't raise yourself up because as you try to raise yourself up, I want you to realize that you're going to be taken down. We're going to see this. When you raise yourself up, remember, it is not long-lasting it ends. It stops. And this is what the Lord wants to show us, right? This is what He wants to remind us of, is that, you know what, as we try, if we have this self-seeking within our hearts, this is not of God, this is of the enemy, and the Lord wants to, wants to destroy this part. I mean, it's been crucified on the cross, but He doesn't want us to walk in it or to allow this part of us to live. You know, as we look at this, right, I told you I'd give you four tactics of the enemy. And the first tactic is this. As we see what's happening, right? You saw that, as we talked about last week, I mentioned to you that David had been anointed as king over Judah. David had been anointed as king over Judah. And as he was anointed over Judah, it's a time to rejoice, right? Because he sees the fact that God's promises are being fulfilled. And it's a time to say, wow, you know what? This is amazing. All the promises that God gave me years ago, they are being fulfilled today. So it's a time of celebration for David and his men. And the first tactic that I want to talk about of the enemy is this. He attacks when we least expect it. Imagine that. I want you to remember this, that the enemy attacks when you least expect it. See, and this is what he does, right? Because there are many times when, when we've experienced such a great victory and we're thinking that everything is well, but yet the enemy is right there planning an attack upon us because he knows that we are not watchful, that we are not alert, as Peter said. And so he, he uses this time as an opportune time to bring us down. See, David never imagined that Abner... And all of Israel would come against him. You know what? He, he, you know, when he was anointed over Judah and when he told, remember, he told Jabesh Gilead, uh, Gilead, he says, join me. You know what? I've been anointed king over Judah. And he realized that they didn't come alongside him. But yet they went under Ishbosheth. He never thought that would happen. He thought, you know what? I've been anointed now as king. The rest are going to come. But 
that didn't happen. See, I want you to understand that this is the way the enemy works, right? When you least expect it, he's there. And he's constantly looking at opportune times when you least expect them to attack us. Least expect it. You know, for example, the building, right? We did not expect that this would ever happen to us. We thought, you know what, we were going to, the Lord was going to bless us with the building. We had no idea that any of this was ever taking place behind us. It wasn't until the offer was made that we were told that the church was up for sale. And for those of you that don't know, our offer by the broker was never given to the Lutherans. This was just crazy stuff. But see, you realize now that this is some spiritual stuff that goes on behind the scenes. When I finally realized that it was too late, right? I gave our, I, I did let them know that our offer was given. I, dis, I revealed to them what it was, but the deal was already closing in a few days. But see, this is the way the enemy works. When you least expect it. But remember this, God, if God wanted us there, it would have all came out before God has another place for us. And God, at the end, just like with David, as we see this, God will have victory in all of this. But as we look at this, right, these are things that, 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 that the Lord wants to show us, right? Because, see, there's those times when we become so blinded that we're so into the victory, into the promises of God, that we lose sight of the enemy. That he's out there. The second tactic that the enemy uses, just like with Abner, Tactic number two is that he inspires others to attack us. This is why Paul could say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not fight, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What he's talking about there? He's talking about actual hand-to-hand con- combat. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Understand this, that Abner was only a puppet for the enemy. Remember, Ishbosheth was a puppet for Abner, and Abner was a puppet of the enemy. See, his selfish ambitions, understand this, if you are self-seeking, if there is selfish ambition in any of us, understand this, this is not of the Lord, but this is of the flesh, and it is something that is ignited and inspired by the enemy. See, in Galatians 5, verse 19, Paul tells us what are the works of the flesh. And he tells us that one of these, as we look there, in verse 20, he mentions their selfish ambitions. He says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. This is the work of the flesh. This is not of the Spirit. Some of, them, some of us will think, well, you know what? God has made me to be a, a person that, that, you know what, that wants to excel, right? But when you, stop, when you start going above people and start uh, stepping on people and start, you know what, using people, this is not of the Lord. This is actually of the flesh. This is something that, that is from not of, of God, but it is of the enemy. See, even though Abner was motivated by his flesh, the enemy was moving Abner to conquer and to destroy the man that God called to be king. 
He wanted to destroy David. He wanted to destroy Judah. He wanted to bring them under his fold. See, as we look at this, right, as we think about Abner and we think about the situation that's going on here, the people that attack you, I want you to know this, when you have people attacking you, it's not the people. Remember this. These people that are attacking us as Christians, these are not the people that are attacking us. You know who's igniting and inspiring them to attack you? It's the devil. It's the demons. And, and this is why Paul reminds us of that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against, you know what, these principalities. These are the ones, these demons are, are inspiring and igniting and moving people to fight against us. So all of these people that get under your skin, that are constantly on you, that have come against you, that are just doing things towards you, understand that they are only puppets of the enemy. And it is the enemy that is the one that is behind it all. As we keep reading, verse 14, it goes on to say, Then Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over by number twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. You know what happens here, I just want you to understand there's there's actually the the soldiers of Abner and the soldiers of Joab. What Joab says is, you know what, let our best compete against one another. Let's see whose men are stronger, right? Let, I'm gonna give you twelve of my best men to fight against twelve of your best men. And we'll see whose men are stronger, right? This is Joab, a man that is filled with pride and and you know what, and just, you know what, just the destruction that he brings because of it. But you see here, you know what, as they fight, as they battle, guess what? No one wins. I don't know if you realize that, but all 24 of these men were dead. Which brings me to my third point regarding the enemy, regarding his tactics. The enemy causes destruction. I want you to know that. As you see this, it is so apparent that as you see here that, that there's a battle that starts amongst the brethren. You know, you look at the, 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 just the, the destruction that, that Abner brings because of, you know, as he's being used by the enemy, as he's a puppet of the enemy, as he's trying to conquer the one that God has anointed, the one that God has chosen to be king. He brings destruction all around him. This is why Jesus says of the devil in John 10 verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. See, how many people are affected by the enemy when he's around? See, whenever you have the enemy around, whenever he is there, whenever he is using people, whenever, whenever he's, just, he's ignited people to come against us or when he's ignited people to come into the ministry or into a place, understand this, that there is destruction all around. People are getting hurt. People are, 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 are you know what, are, are going through, I mean, people are just being used and, and they are being hurt and they are just 
just coming to a place of, of just destruction. I want you to know this is that in the ministry, when the enemy sends people to destroy a ministry, because he sends them all the time. The devil is always sending people to destroy ministries that are used of God. I want you to know this, that most of the time they are trying to attack leadership. That's who they come after. And what they do is, is that they instigate rebellion against the leadership. They instigate rebellion against the one that God has called. And, and a lot of times there's negative talk about him behind the scenes. He doesn't even know it, but things are happening. People start coming on the side of, of these that, that are instigating rebellion that the enemy is using. They've befriended people, right? They're using people to, to come with them and to, to come against those that are in leadership. They also come against those other leaders that are faithful and loyal to the ministry, to the one that God has called. And you see this inner working in the ministry of, of how the enemy is using people to, to destroy a work of God. But through it all, I want you to know who gets hurt. It's the people that get hurt. It's the people that are destroyed. Many people are destroyed spiritually because they've come alongside. They were new in the Lord. And they come alongside these people and they, they find out and they realize, you know what, I don't want anything to do with Christianity anymore. You know what, these things happen. And you know what, the Lord hates people that cause division. He hates people that cause rebellion. Just like Abner, right, instigating a rebellion against the nation of Israel. He hates this, right? Look at what he says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. He says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. This is what the Lord hates. He hates these sins. And those that are walking in these sins, He hates the sin. He loves the, the people. He loves the, the individuals. He desires that they would not do this, but this is the sin that He hates. See, what happens? How can we, how can we stop these things from happening in the ministry? You know what, when you hear these things of people creating discord, of creating rebellion, you as people that are serving the Lord are to go and to address them. You address them. And you let them know that, you know what, that these things that they're saying and doing is not right. See, this is what we as people, as mature Christians are to do, right? We're supposed to address these things. If we know that there's sin going on, this is what Matthew 18 is all about. We go and address it and we tell them. And especially when it comes to discord and especially when it comes to rebellion, I want you to know this. You must also let leadership know. Because this is so key. This is very important because the enemy has come into the camp and his, ways are to, his motive is to destroy the ministry. What happened here, going back to this event, is after the twelve killed each other, or the twenty-four killed each other, an all-out battle breaks out between the two armies, 
And we know that civil wars are devastating. You have families fighting against families, right? Brethren fighting against brethren. But this is what civil war does. As, and let's keep reading on and, and, and look at the, what else the Lord wants to show us. Beginning here in verse 18, it says this. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So Asahel pursued Abner. And in going, he did not turn to his right hand, to the right hand or to the left, from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, they stood still. We're introduced first of all to Joab's brothers at the beginning here of verse 18. Abishai and Asahel, these are the brothers of Joab, the commander of David's army. And in the heat of the battle, as Judah is prevailing over Abner and Israel, Abner flees. He, you know what? He sees the signs of defeat. And so one of, uh, one of Joab's brothers named Asahel, he's the youngest of the three, but he decides to pursue Abner. And the Bible tells us that he was as fast as a gazelle. I don't know, I mean, when the Bible says that you're fast, you are fast. I want you to understand that when the Bible says something about you, it really means that that is what you are. I don't know if you know how fast gazelles are, but gazelles, understand this. They are known as swift animals, and they are able to run at, burst, at speeds as high as 60 miles per hour. And, to, as, and they sustain their speed at 30 miles per hour. Imagine that. This is a gazelle. This is how fast a gazelle is. This is how swift a gazelle is. 60 miles an hour, you could be driving. It's like driving on the freeway and the gazelle is keeping up with you as it starts off. You know, this is how fast Asahel was. Asahel was so fast that he catches up to Abner. What led him to go after Abner? I don't know. You know what? The Bible doesn't tell us what led him to go after him. But one thing we know is maybe he wanted to kill the commander and, you, and, and, and bring, the, bring Israel under David. We really don't know. But one thing we know is that it was very foolish of him because Abner was a much more skilled warrior than Abishai. He was the youngest, the youngest of the three. So he probably could, he could have been anywhere between 18, 19 years old. Abner may have been a lot older than that. Could have been like 30 years old, but more skilled as a fighter. But one thing we do is we sense Abner's sincerity here as as he says, you know what, Asahel, stop pursuing me. You know, he, he attempts to convince Asahel to take the armor of a dead soldier. Get the armor, don't pursue me, just take what he has, don't come after me. Because I'm sure that, you know what, that Abner was running and they were talking to each other, right? As, as he's running and Asahel is behind him and he's telling, me, he's telling him, Asahel, 
Don't come after me. Go after that. Don't pursue me. You know, he doesn't want to kill him. He says he knew that he was stronger than he. He knew that he was able to take him down. He was probably a skilled warrior, right? And he knew that there's no way Asahel will be able to defeat me. So he tells him, you know what? Just get the armor. And I don't want to have a war between you, between the commander Joab and myself. But he doesn't listen. Asahel doesn't listen. He doesn't stop and so Abner immediately stops quickly. He knew what he was going to do. And the spear goes between the body of Asahel and he dies. You know, this reminds me of a very foolish act that I did. See, because there's sometimes we do things that we don't think about, right? And he's going on his own and he's, you know what, he's running after him and he probably, you know what, this wasn't a wise thing for him to do. And, And I want you to know this is that many of us learn from our mistakes for Asahel was a little too late, but I remember as I, as I was thinking about a pursuit, right? I remember nine years ago, I was in Argentina and, and my wife and I, and, and we were with these other women that we were just walking the streets, right? And they told us, don't walk the streets of Argentina because crime was at an all-time high. And they said, you guys shouldn't go out. They discouraged anybody from going out, but my wife and I and these other two women decided to take a walk. Not far, but we decided to take a walk. And then when we're taking a walk, this gentleman, he comes up to us and he says to us, hey, how do I get somewhere? We should have known that, right? Because he knew that, you know what, my wife and I, yeah, we, we look like we're Hispanic, but the other two were, 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 were American, white Americans, right? And so why would he ask us directions, right? Instead, he, he wouldn't know where they're at and but he comes to these girls and he asks them for directions. And so we're, you know, I'm looking at him and all of a sudden he just looks down and he grabs the watch of one of the girls and he runs. And so your pastor, I made a huge mistake. I ran after him. And believe me, I mean, I was older than he was. He was probably in his 19 or 20s and I was already in my 40s. But I caught him. You know, I'm running after him, right? And I catch him and, and, and I grab, right? And he's running and I grabbed, grabbed his, his belt in the back and he felt me grab his back so he, he knew I was behind him so he throws his elbow at me and he knocks me down. And so I fell and then I looked up and when I looked up, I saw a wall of men there waiting for him. And when they found him, they beat him up. Right As he got up, they beat him up. They took the watch, gave it back to the girl because it, the people were tired of it too. But what was amazing about all of this, it, even though it was a foolish thing for me to do and I'll never do that again, <laughs> the Lord still used it because my wife, while he was down, bleeding and, and you know, with blood on his mouth, on his body, right? Because they beat him up pretty bad. He was handcuffed. My wife was just sharing the gospel with him. And he came to know the Lord. So praise the Lord for that. But don't follow this example, okay? Just let things go and don't worry about them. But let's keep going back as we're running out of time. Let's finish reading. Verse 24 goes on to say, So Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amah, which is before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit, and there 
and took their stand on top of a hill. So Abner keeps running, and you have the brothers of, of uh, the, the deceased, which is Joab and Abishai. They follow him, and, they, and then finally Abner reaches men that are part of his army. And so they're there, and, and then this is what Abishai says, or Abner says next. Verse 26 says, Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? I want you to know this. We read here, Abner yelling out. He's saying, Shall the sword devour forever? The ending will be bitter. I am part of your family. We are brethren. This is Abner, the enemy, the one that causes civil war. He's speaking these things and he is so convincing, which brings me to my fourth and final point. Remember this. The enemy, he is deceiving. The enemy is a liar. But yet, he's, he's so convincing. See, he did this to Eve. Remember Eve in the garden? You will be like God. You will be as God. And, and yet, she remembered that her husband told her, you know what, you're not to eat of the fruit. But yet, he was so convincing. And she ate of the fruit. See, Jesus knows this about the enemy. That's why He tells us in John 8.44, You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, as we see Him doing here through Abner, and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in Him. When He speaks a lie, He speaks from His own resources, for He is a liar and a father of it. Understand this. This is the enemy. The only way to catch these people, understand this, because we're going to find people that are sent by the enemy, I want you to always compare their words with the truth of God. Study carefully what people are, ta- are, are telling you. You know what? I want you to know this, that we as people, we become so trusting, right? Especially in the ministry. We become so trusting of so many people. And I think that this is sometimes a weakness of ours. Because there is always an alert button that comes out with people. I don't know if you know this, but there is an alert button. I've been in the ministry for some time, and people that have always come against me, there's always been an alert button that goes off. And guess who sets this alert button off? It's the Holy Spirit, right? But what happens is that I ignore it. See, we ignore the Spirit's revelation, and this is something that God wants us to become better at, to know that when there are people that are coming against us, trying to cause rebellion or division, you know what, to... to to, to follow your, you know what, that discernment that He gives you. And one of the things that we as Christians should be praying for is discernment. To be able to see if that person is truly of the Lord, and if he's not, then you know what, who is, is he of the enemy? See, this is what happens many times as, as, as in the ministry when these people try to create division, try to create re- rebellion, try to come up against the, uh, the ministry or our self-seeking or selfish or have selfish motives. You know what we are to. You know what we are to identify them, right, and and make sure that that, that we understand this and not to allow them to to you know what to rise up and to do the things that that we know that that shouldn't be done, bringing destruction into the ministry, into our families, whatever it may be. And you can always catch them. Because there's always lies that are coming out of their mouth. You can catch them because, see, their actions are different than what they say. 
And this is a, these are the, the, the signs that the, that the Lord gives us regarding the enemy. And in closing, let's read this. Verse 27 goes on to say this. And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mehenim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, nineteen men, and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men three hundred and sixty men who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Understand this, in closing, Joab agrees with Abner. He stops the chase and stops the battle with Israel. Joab says, okay, you know what, I'm going to listen to you, Abner, you're right. But as we see here, God had the victory. Nineteen men died, which was one too many. But as we see, of Abner's army of Israel, 360 men perished. See, God did not allow Israel to have victory. God did not allow the tribe of Judah to be conquered. See, as we see this, why is this? Why doesn't God allow this? And I'm going to give you some scriptures here. From 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, For greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Romans 8.37 For we are more than conquerors through Him. And let me remind you, everything comes from God. The victory comes from God. The conquering comes from God. God is the great one. And if, we, if, if He is on our side, we will experience victory. And this is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says this, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is not of yourself. Always understand that. Everything that we are, everything that we experience, every victory that we have, every blessing that we have, it's all from God. We do not take credit in anything and know that if you belong to God, no matter what tactics the enemy does, no matter what tactics and attacks he brings, you will have victory in the end. And what I love about David is you never hear David worried about anything, right? No thoughts, no words are given of David. You know why? Remember when he fought Goliath? He knew the battle belongs to the Lord. He didn't have to worry about things. This speaks to all of us. Let us not fear anything. No matter what, as a people of God, we are not to fear anything, but we are a people of faith. No matter what comes at us, we walk by faith and we walk in victory. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your reminder of the tactics of the enemy, Lord. Yes, Lord, He comes when we least expect it. Yes, Lord, He inspires others to come against us. Yes, Lord, He's a liar. Yes, Lord, He's out there. But as we heard today, He cannot have victory. He cannot have victory against you or against your people. So Lord, we thank You for the reminder of this. We thank You for reminding us of His tactics, of the things that He does. But Lord, we thank You 
We thank you because of your victory in and through us. Lord, help us to be a people that walk in confidence, that walk in boldness, that no matter what we're going through, to understand this is that we will have victory. And the victory is because of you. So I pray for everyone that is here that may be discouraged by any attacks, that may be discouraged by any works of the devil or by people that have been ignited and inspired by the devil to take comfort in knowing that you are our victory, Lord. Just as you brought victory to Judah, for Israel was much greater in number, much mightier in in number, but yet you gave victory to Judah and to David, your anointed. Lord, we are your anointed. We are your people. Do a mighty work in and through us. Remind us, encourage us as you did through your word. And may we face, face our enemy, Lord, in your power. And help us and remind us to put on your armor on a daily basis. And we pray this in Jesus' name.